Welcome to the Buncombe Street United Methodist Church podcast. My name is Chris Ashley. I am the Director of Congregational Engagement here at our church and the host of this podcast each and every week. Before we get into this week's show, I want to make a small announcement that you may have seen or heard, but we have launched a separate podcast feed called Buncombe Street Sermons, and you can find that linked on our church website or in the e-news or find it on our social media feeds from the past week or so. Anyway, we have been wanting to do this for a while where we are going to put out the recordings, the audio of the three weekly sermons from Trinity, from our downtown traditional service, and from our downtown table service. And we didn't want to muddy up this feed by just having those things live here as well. So we now have a separate podcast feed for those. So if you're the kind of person who likes to go back and listen, if you missed a week, or if you like to kind of hear from all of our ministers, then that's a great opportunity for you to to plug in there and subscribe to those that feed. And you can get the sermons each and every week. You don't have to listen to all of them, but it would be uh, it would be it's just an available resource there for you. So if this is your first time joining us here or you first time tuning in for a while, we are actually wrapping up this week an eight-week series on the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. So if you haven't caught up this far, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the previous seven episodes where we did an intro and then we have gone a week with each letter. This week is our final letter, letter number seven. And the text for today is found in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. And it says this, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked." I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, that's from Revelation chapter 3 verses 14 to 22. So with each of these verses, we are asking the same five questions, trying to figure out what we can learn about ourselves as individuals, our local congregation here, our church, and as a part of the the big global church, right? The big C church. But I have been trying to give you a little bit of background on these cities and these churches as well, because a lot of these cities are not 
modern day cities. You can't look up Laodicea on a map. Um, so I, I've been trying to give you a little context for the churches and where they sat. So Laodicea was a wealthy commercial city. There was a lot of industry there. And their primary industry was in the preparation of woolen materials. So in other words, they were a textile fan, uh, textile town, right? They're much like Greenville, our city. Their industry was was textiles, and they were a booming place. There was a lot of prosperity here um, in Laodicea, and and that plays into this letter just a bit. So the first question we're asking about each of these letters is, what are they doing right? And again, this is not a comprehensive, all-encompassing statement with these letters. Sometimes they're, it's just getting to the point. And Laodicea, I've got to be honest, this letter is the absolute harshest of them all. And so there's, there's nothing listed in this letter about anything they're doing right. I mean, there is no, you know, even some of the other ones were like, well, they don't really talk about anything they're doing right. There's always like a caveat of like, well, there's a few of you there's none of that here. It is like there's there's not even a mention of doing anything right. So the so we're just going to move right on to question number two. Question number two, what are they doing wrong? Well, there's a couple things here. First off is this whole idea of being lukewarm. Now, this, this letter is probably the most uh, known amongst people because we, we talk a lot about the lukewarm. We talk about, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I think a lot of these... The parts of this letter are, are things that are known even outside of folks who may have been studying this passage or studying this scripture. We talk about this idea of being lukewarm. That's the first thing they're doing wrong. You're not hot and you're not cold. And because you're not hot and you're not cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. <clears throat> so here's what, I th- here's what I thought about. I was trying to think about like what are things just that whole visual of spitting out of your mouth makes me think of like something that you're going to eat, right? So what are things that I like either really hot or really cold, but kind of nowhere in between? And the first thing that came to my mind, and my wife will just tell you that she thinks this is the strangest thing in the world, but pizza is a thing for me that I either want to have it really hot, like fresh out of the oven, or I'll also enjoy it out of the fridge. Like if it's been sitting in the fridge overnight, um, and I just need kind of like a good, like it's, it's great if you've been outside and you're coming in from a hot day and you just want some, some, some nourishment and, uh, that cold pizza can be, it can be really tasty. Um, especially me. Cause I, I put, uh, my favorite pizza topping is pineapple. And so pineapple, the cold pineapple on the pizza is, uh, is sometimes really good, but I will tell you this, if, if we go order a pizza, cause we live out in the country, so we're not really close too much. So everything is a, is a little bit of a drive. So if we go pick up a pizza to bring home, it's normally going to be kind of that lukewarm when we get home. And I almost will never eat it without reheating it a little bit. Um, and partially because it's just not as good. Like lukewarm pizza, pizza's been like sitting out for a little while. Like if you're at a party or like if you go to a Super Bowl party or some some kind of football tailgate and somebody's ordered a pizza and it's been out for an hour or so, I don't know about you, but like, I don't, I'm probably not going for the pizza at that point. It's just not, it's just not that good. It's lukewarm. It's, I'd rather it be cold or I'd rather it be hot. And I think this visual is so interesting when it comes to, to this church is like, I'd rather you be on fire 
for the Lord. I'd rather you be so so hot in your faith that you're just you're lighting this place on fire. You're out converting people. You're sharing the good news of Jesus, and and you're just this this perfect picture of a body of a Christian body in a community. Or I'd rather you just not know me at all, so that I can like the the people in the church can work on introducing you to Jesus and bringing you into a relationship with him. I think that this letter is so popular uh, amongst our worldview just because particularly where we live here in the Bible Belt, um, there's a lot of what I call cultural Christianity around here, right? So there's people who, there's very few people I think that have grown up in the South that would just say are just outright hostile towards uh, Christianity or the ideas of of our faith. Everybody's generally pretty familiar. A lot of people, a, a big portion of the majority, majority of the population has probably been to church or gone to church at some point in their life, and maybe they just turned off from it. Um, but there's not a lot of just like, well, I've never heard, I've never heard about Jesus. I've never known anything about this. And so sometimes it can be hard for people, particularly people who grew up in the church, but may not necessarily have a personal relationship with Christ, it can be hard to to convince them that they need that, right? Because they're almost in that lukewarm category, right? Like they they think they are good, they think they're good to go, but they're not really. And it's like, I would rather them be like totally cold and either like a, cold, uh, hostile to the church or like, just have no knowledge of it because then it's a little bit easier to have a conversation with someone, someone who thinks that they're good and they're not. It's just hard, right? So that's kind of that lukewarm flavor. And that's what these, these Laodiceans are doing. They're, they're kind of in between both worlds. They're not really living a life for Jesus and they're not really like living into this faith. And maybe they don't even have a relationship with him, but they're still kind of a part of this world as a cultural thing as a friend group thing. Like there, there, there may be people, you know, in our church who are like this, that they come to church for the social aspect and for the friend aspect, but not necessarily for the spiritual connection to their heavenly father. And that's, that's a hard population to really reach with the gospel. So that's the first thing they're doing wrong. The other thing they're doing is wrong is they're placing value incorrectly, right? I told you this was a wealthy commercial area. It was a wealthy commercial area. Uh, civilization, a city, a town. And a lot of these people are like, look, I'm, I'm good, right? I'm rich. I've prospered in life. I don't need anything. And sometimes we can get confused. Uh, we can, we can tend to think that like worldly success equals heavenly blessing. And that's almost never the case, right? You read through Jesus's teaching through his life. And he talks about the first being the last and the last being first. And you know, selling all your possessions and giving to the poor when he's talking to the rich young ruler. And he, Jesus, I don't think is anti-money and anti-stuff, but I think he's, he's clear enough in the, in the fact that like those things get in the way and those things can lead you down this path of lukewarmness where you start to, you start to equate earthly success with heavenly blessing and thinking that you've done, that God has blessed you because you have stuff, right? And I think that's what's happened here in Laodicea. And so it's like you, I, I'm rich, I'm prospered, I've prospered, I have need for nothing. 
And Jesus says, you don't realize that you're wretched. You're pitiable. You're, you're actually poor. You're poor in spirit. You might be rich in stuff, but you're poor in spirit. You're blind and you're naked. So that's kind of what they're doing wrong. So the, the third question we're asking is, what instruction then is given to them? So there's a lot of correction needed here in Laodicea. So we get a lot of instruction from the Lord. First is to buy gold refined by fire and white garments so that they can clothe themselves from the shame of their nakedness and not be seen. And then salve to anoint their eyes so that they may see. Right? Because he calls them poor and he calls them uh, blind and he calls them naked in the verse before. And so he's saying, let's fix some of these things. And when I look at the idea of like white garments and I look at the idea of like salve from your eyes and I look specifically at the idea of gold refined by fire, I think that this is all centered on the idea of purity. I don't know if you've ever watched a video about how gold is refined or if you know much about how gold is refined. So, you know, you may be familiar with like 24 karat gold, 18 karat gold, 10 karat gold, 9 karat gold. Essentially what that is, is 24 karat gold. And everybody knows that's, that's pure gold. So the carats are how much gold out of 24 parts is gold, right? So 24 karat is 24 parts gold out of 24. So that's a hundred percent. 18 karat would be 18 out of 24, right? So you're going to have a little bit of non-gold alloy in there. And a lot of times that's used for making jewelry because, you know, it's just, you're going to mix it so it's not quite as expensive and it's more affordable for people. But if you ever look about how gold is refined, right? So if people turn in jewelry that's less than 24 karat, um, and even like gold that comes out of a mine is not always 100% pure, they they have to purify this gold. They melt it down uh, in a crucible that's about 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit, which is insane, right? And they melt this gold down. It essentially burns off all the impurities. They wash it in chemicals. They burn off the impurities. And then what they're left with then is this pure gold, right? Pure gold, untainted so what I've always found interesting about that process is that you don't get to perfection without going through the fire, right? You don't, you don't get what you're hoping for. You don't get the real value unless there's sacrifice to be made, right? There's, there's cutting things out. We'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute when we, when we get down to what we can learn from this passage. So we talk about the gold, we talk about the white garments, we talk about the salve. He also says a couple other things that I don't think are so much instruction as much as it is um, as much as it is just kind of informational, right? Verse 19, I love. This is this is like the ultimate parent statement. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Right? There's the there's the old cliche of like, this is gonna hurt you more than it's gonna this is gonna hurt me more than it's gonna hurt you, right? And I think when you're on the receiving end, you never feel that that's true. <laughs> But as a parent, I think you get the sentiment, right? The It's not fun to discipline the people we love, but it's also necessary because you, like with kids, right? I've, I've talked on here before. I have, I have two toddlers, a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old. And 
I don't like disciplining them. I don't like getting onto them or making them sit in timeout or taking things away that they enjoy. But I also know I don't want them to grow up to be terrible human beings <laughs> who are who are entitled and whiny and don't know how to function in society. And so there's a discipline that is sometimes required. And sometimes the discipline is out of love and care and safety more than anything, right? Like, I don't want my children to run and play in the street. And so if they try to do something after I've asked them not to do it, there has to be, there has to be consequences because I'm going to discipline and reprove those whom I love. And so Jesus says, that's what's happening here. I'm, I'm disciplining you because I love you. So repent. I need you to repent because I don't want to keep having to do this. <laughs> just, just like I feel with my girls, right? And then the last thing here, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So he's just saying, let me in, right? And then this is this is back to that lukewarmness, right? The people that don't know him, that don't have an intimate relationship with him, that may think they do. He says, I'm standing here and I'm knocking and I'm just waiting for you to open the door. And that, that verse is used a lot in in evangelistic uh, messages and evangelistic opportunities where we're trying to to tell people that Jesus is waiting for them. He, he's, he wants them to open the door and let him in to their life and have that personal one-on-one relationship with them. So that's kind of the instruction that's given. So the fourth question we're asking is, what then is promised to them? And this is that Nike word, that the one who conquers, or to the victor. We get that one here in verse 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So again, it's it, we've and we've had this one in letters past where we're getting this idea of being able to rule with him at the end of all this, right? Knowing he's the ultimate winner. We're in the book of Revelation, you know, let's let's finish reading the the book here. We'll we'll figure out who's going to win this whole thing. We know he's the winner. So if we can overcome, if we can open the door and let him in, if we can learn to do these things, then we get to then sit beside him at the end of this and help rule over this earth the way that he created Adam and Eve to do in Eden. You remember Adam and Eve, he gave them so much power. He gave them co-rule to be able to name the animals, to be able to like run this world and and rule over it and have dominion over it. That's what we're promised. He's wanting to invite us back to Eden, right? We're stuck here. We're stuck here in the middle. But he's saying, ultimately, we're going to get back there. And if you want the chance to be back there and rule with me, these are the things that you need to do. So the fifth and final question we're asking each and every week about these letters is what can we learn from this letter? What can we learn from the church in Laodicea? Well, I've written a couple things here. I think there's a lot of good in this letter. First thing I wrote is take your temperature. <clears throat> Where are you at? Where are you at with God? Are you hot? Do you consider yourself on fire? I mean, honestly, if you're listening to a podcast <laughs> Bible study here, you're probably closer to that hot end, I would hope, I would think, unless this has been passed to you. Are you hot? Or are you cold? Are you just you just don't 
you don't have a relationship with Jesus at all, you don't know him at all, and you need to, and if that's you, by all means, please, please, please reach out to me, chris.ashley at bsumc.com, 373-6461. I would love to have a conversation with you because I don't, I don't want you to be there. I want you to be, I want you to be the Nikkei, the one that conquers. I want you there too. Or do you think you're somewhere in the middle? Are you tending towards that lukewarm area? And listen, you can be someone who's on fire, who's who's hot at times and also lukewarm at times. I've certainly been there. I've certainly had seasons in my life where I was much more luke, <clears throat> lukewarm than I needed to be. And if you are lukewarm, then what can you do to move towards being hot? What is it going to take? What steps tangibly can you take to reheat your heart, if you will. We don't want any lukewarm pizza hearts, okay? <laughs> Second thing I think we can learn, it's a que- another question. What do you value? What do you place value on in your life? And where does Jesus stack up in those values? Where does he stack up? Is financial success or... Um, societal success or uh, job success, you know, is any of that more important than the status of your relationship with the Lord? Is your family more important than the status of your relationship with the Lord? Right? Jesus says, who, who is my, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Right? Leave them behind and come follow me. And I don't think he means family's not important. I think it just means have your priorities in order, right? Number three, what what correction is Christ offering you? I discipline those whom I love. What are the areas in your life um, that Jesus may be giving you corrective action towards? And that leads to the, the last thing, right? And that's this this purification process, this uh, this gold refined by fire. I remember several years back uh, reading through the book of John and coming across John 15, the vine and the branches, and and really probably for one of the first times in my life, really that verse hitting me really hard about like the vines that you know the the, the vines that don't bear fruit are cast into the fire. And I think that's kind of what I always thought. I was like, well, I'm good because I am I feel like I'm bearing fruit. But then it said, but the ones that bear fruit, the Father prunes so that they can be more healthy and bear more fruit. Right? And if you know anything about gardening or <clears throat> plants, you know that you have to prune back. You have to cut things off that are seemingly good to make the plant healthier, even healthier, right? To bear even more fruit. Right, we've got uh, we're growing okra right now <laughs> in our in our garden, and it's crazy to feel like you have to like cut things off that look like they're healthy, right? leaves that look like they're doing really well. But cutting those things back is how the plant is going to produce what you want it to produce. And your boy loves okra, so I need some more okra. <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm trying to stay on top of that and make sure that those plants are as healthy as they can be. <coughs> So what are the things that maybe you need 
pruned from your life, that purification process, right? What needs to be refined by fire and taken away so that you can be the best version of yourself? Hey, this has been such a great series on these letters. I feel like I've learned a lot about where I am. I feel like I've gotten some insight into where our church is at and the things that, um, as I'm doing this kind of stuff and doing other things to, to lead and teach, what are some ways that I can be leading to, to help course correct us so that we don't go down some of the, the same roads that these churches were going down? Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then I want to tell you a little bit about what we're going to do next week. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to digitally connect um, with my church family. Thank you for these seven churches uh, and for everything we've been able to learn over the last couple months and apply these things to our lives. And help us not to forget this in this season. Help us to remember and keep our focus where it needs to be so that we don't make some of these same mistakes. Thank you so much for blessing us and for giving us a church like Buncombe Street that we get to be a part of each and every week. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, so this is the end of this series, and we are not going to jump right into a new series next week. Well, we are, sort of, but not into a continuous multi-week series uh, that will be going on for the next month or so, because we're going to start a new thing here um, that's going to happen once every couple months or so. I'm going to bring on some friends, and we are going to talk about a topic called... uh, about liturgy, right? Why liturgy matters. We're in a liturgical church. We're in a church that uses a lot of liturgy, whether it's the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, uh, anything that we do in terms of call and response, a collect, um, pastoral prayer, like any any of those things that uh, are maybe things you're not familiar with, right? I grew up in in a Southern Baptist tradition, and so I was not familiar with many of these things prior to uh, my first job at a Presbyterian church, and then and then obviously coming to Buncombe Street, we didn't do a lot of these things, and so I think it's going to be a really good a really good series. And it, again, it's going to be kind of peppered throughout the year. Um, so I'm going to bring on Vance Jenkins uh, and maybe maybe some other friends. We'll see uh, to talk about some of these things because I think this this stuff is really cool and important, and it's fascinating, especially if we know the why behind the what. Sometimes we can get into the groove of just doing stuff and not really know why we do it. And if we don't know why, it can lose a little bit of its meaning. And so I think this is going to be a really cool idea. And uh, I'm grateful to Vance for the idea and for something that he's really passionate about and wants to to share with you all. Uh, and I'm just going to kind of be the, the facilitator because I, I don't know enough to, to, uh, to, I think, lead this thing. But I'm going to help. Uh, facilitate some discussions throughout the year on liturgy. And then the week following, we're going to jump into a new series. I hadn't totally landed on what we're going to do there. I have some ideas. Um, So stay tuned for that. Uh, But until next time, grace and peace to you all.